Welcome to Creative Twist. I'm Sally Vanderpump and I'm going to be talking to people who've rediscovered their creativity after a break or taken a twist in their career paths and tried something new. Coming back to creativity made my life better. Let's find out how it changed my guests' lives too. Ben Haynes is a professional music producer based in Derbyshire. He works with singer-songwriters to record, produce and mix their music, often playing all the instruments. He also provides bespoke and library music for adverts, explainer videos and animation. He came to music production having been in bands for a number of years and now works from his small but cosy purpose-built studio room in Sponden. We talk about how Ben took the bold decision to leave his steady job in communications at the NHS during a recession, how diversifying his work keeps things interesting and financially viable, and discuss how the naysayers on the music magazine message board actually spurred him on to take the leap. Ben mentions the book Who Moved My Cheese by Dr Spencer Johnson, and he also talks about the band Paper Kites. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Yeah, it's really nice to actually see you. We were just saying that we, although we sometimes work together, we generally talk by email, don't we? So it's actually nice to see you and have a proper face-to-face. That's it. And of course, of course, I'm very familiar with your voice, but um, you've not had the uh, the sublime delight of hearing mine. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so you are a, you're a music producer and composer and you also work with singer songwriters is that right do you want to tell us a bit about that about your your job yeah it's kind of um, so basically my my job title is basically a music producer and there there are sort of two sides to what i do so one is i produce singer songwriters um so they come to me with you know a rough sketch of a song perhaps or maybe a fully fleshed out song um that they want me to improve so either we'll take it from scratch and record everything, you know, acoustic guitars, and then I add all the other extra instruments on and um, we get it mixed and mastered and ready. Or maybe they've recorded something in the bedroom that's pretty good, but they just want it to sound better. So um, I'll take that and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of mix it for them. Uh, and then the other side of it is kind of music for uh, media, basically. So um, soundtrack work, but also things like sound effects. And I've sort of stumbled into providing voiceovers for people, not myself, but having a uh, a small database of voiceover artists that I can call upon. So I love it. I've been doing it professionally for, I think, 11 years now. No two days are the same. And yeah, I, I absolutely love doing it. And you've always loved music, haven't you, from a very early age? I I loved reading on your website about your your first band do you want to tell us a bit about that and how <laughs> <laughs> how that came, yeah. came about yeah well my first band so i yeah I, I grew up very musical i was the youngest um in in a large family and everyone liked different styles of music and i just sort of absorbed them all um so i think i was about 7 when i started my first band and we were called jenim which is the names ben and jim in an anagram but with a silent b at the end so jenim like that and we just so I had some boxes and buckets and saucepan lids that I hit with spoons and my mate Jim had like an old like Argos cheap guitar that he just strummed tunelessly and we made up so we sat there with a the tape recorder and we made up songs about absolutely anything at all so 
you'd look out the window and you'd see a bird. Right, this song's called Bird. Bird, bird. I just it was just that's the way we filled our, you know, summer holidays and stuff and it, and it was great. And I remember one day we decided that we needed to do a concert because that's what bands do. We're going to do a concert. It was like, how do you do a concert? Like, <laughs> what do you do? So we, we both were brought up going to church and there's a church hall where there'd be a coffee morning afterwards. And we're like, well, we'll, we'll go to the coffee morning and we'll go and we'll perform a concert. And there was a stage near the coffee morning. So we, we brought all our boxes and spoons and the guitar and put it on this stage. I just started playing, but no one was watching us. So we went into the coffee morning and said, um, we're doing a concert. And everyone went, all right, carried on with their <laughs> coffees. And we just, we just sat there just hitting boxes going, bird, bird. <laughs> so that was a, a good start. So did anyone kind of come and gather around or tell you to <laughs> move along? <laughs> I, I, I recall a man kind of leaving with his fingers in his ears as he as he went past so. actually my dad did this very same thing so i i then joined other bands kind of bands that played actual instruments and um i could never get my dad to come to any of our gigs because he's he's a very very quiet man he likes classical music plays at a very yes. low volume and it's just not his thing at all but one day we played a gig on derby marketplace and i thought well you know he can stand as far back from us as he likes there and it won't be too loud. So we started the first song and before the end of the first song, he was walking off with his fingers in his ears towards the local pub. Oh, no. Know? Oh. But that's, God bless him, that's just who he is. Does, so. he, um, does he approve of any of the work that you're doing these days? He's, he takes an interest in it. When I, when I quit my previous job to do this full time, he didn't understand he, because he's never sort of really had a passion. He had the same job all his yeah. life and he, he worked at the railways and, and you know, until he was in his 60s. And he said to me, Ben, you've got a job. Why are you giving that up? I was like, because I want to do something that I love. And he said, well, the job isn't about doing something you love. It's just about earning money. You can do music in your spare time. I was like, yeah, but, you know, me and him are quite different people. I, I, you know, and I tried to explain it, but he. He genuinely mm. just didn't understand why I would want to do that. Yeah, I think that is a very generational thing, isn't it? That you that we've kind of come to this. We've got a big sense that you should be able to follow your passion or love what you do. That wasn't a priority at all, was yeah. it, for that generation? I suppose, or it wasn't even no, an option. No. I mean, you couldn't. No, although I do think it's about a personality thing mm. as well. You know, my mum would have loved to have done something creative. So she she encouraged me, whereas my dad just wasn't a creative mm. kind of guy. So he just couldn't understand that yeah. mindset. But, you know, it was fine. They both supported me and, and my dad still asks, you know, how things are. My mum passed away a few years ago, mm. but she used to, she never, she loved that I was doing it, but she never quite understood what yeah. I did. And she'd be like, how's your business, Ben? Have you recorded more people on your computer? <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So what happened to Jenim? Is that how you say it? Did you Jenim. have an acrimonious breakup? Did you uh, just dissolve? Did you carry on for? <laughs> <laughs> we, um, I've, I've never been asked at length about Jenim. This is great. The seven seven year old me is very happy about this. Um, I th I think we honestly, I think we made three albums wow, worth of music. That's... The the, the set. The second album of which I've still got on a cassette. Brilliant. I remember one of the cassettes got chewed up, which I was very dis very sad about. We 
what happened was that Jim, the other guy, was a year older than me and another guy who was his age moved onto the street. And I think he was then a bit a, a bit embarrassed about hanging out with me because I was a younger kid. So that was the end of that for Jen, Aww. sadly. But we did do another band when we were about 11 called The Ace of Hearts um, with me and him and another guy. And it was a little bit more melodic. And I made my first money from music doing that because I didn't know. But Jim sold cassettes in the playground at school of The Ace of Hearts came up to me one day and gave me 20p for oh, my royalties. Wow. I was like, that was amazing. <laughs> I got, 20p I bought, as well. I mean, that's at least a... 20p? Curly I bought early or something. Like 1980. <laughs> it was, it was um, two packets of fruit polos from Brilliant. the vending machine. I remember. I remember. Fruity polos. I loved those. <laughs> oh, and then you got into the drums. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I always wanted to play drums, but we couldn't afford them. I always feel like like a twerp saying that but we, we genuinely mm. couldn't we were we were there was quite a large family and we lived in normanton which is you know not the not the best area of derby and and my, my dad was worked on the railways but he wasn't earning a massive wage and my mum didn't work because she was looking after us so uh, in terms of money we didn't have that much but when something happened with my dad's pension where he got some kind of refund at some point and so we had a little bit of money and I remember that was when we got central heating so we didn't have central heating until I the youngest was 13 we we got a video recorder and for Christmas mm -hmm. I got a drum kit which was like my Brilliant. joint Christmas and birthday present and you're not getting any other presents and you better start behaving at school you know so that was just like unbelievable. And I just threw myself into drums and um, I'd started bands. And that was, I think most teenagers are quite angsty. And I really mm -hmm. wasn't that angsty because if there was a girl at school that didn't didn't fancy me back or I'd just go home and play the drums, bash it out. Play the drums. Exactly. Cathartic. It really, really yeah. was. And these lunchtime um, concerts started happening when I was 14. And I started playing drums at that. And then suddenly girls were interested in me, which was obviously ah, great because I was... A bonus. I mean, you know, when you're 14, I mean, I was very, very quiet and very shy and, and absolutely tiny as well. I was four foot seven, I think, when I started um, secondary school. So I wasn't very noticeable, but I played drums and it was great. And I, I got, you know, and then obviously I loved playing the music and I, I loved getting a bit of attention. And that kind of just sparked the... I want to do this forever thing. So you were really clear then for quite a young age that you wanted that music was going to be yeah. your career. Yeah. I was I was asked because I went to a Catholic school growing up and I remember being asked what I wanted to be when I grew up when I was about 8 and I said a pop star or a priest. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, yeah, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> for two kind of you, you're on stage for both of them, you know. Covering yeah. <laughs> all bases. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the priest thing fell away pretty swiftly, but um, but yeah, no, I, I I always wanted to work in music, and you know I was in bands for a very long time, but being in a band is a compromise. And in what sense? Well, you know, if there's say four people in your band, everyone's got to agree on stuff. You know, you can, mm. you can't just say right, this is what we're doing. Everyone's got to agree on it. Um, from everything so from the music you've got to all be happy with what you're playing to 
to the kind of mm-hmm. places that you're playing and to to where you want to get to, you know. And were you always drummer or did you play? I played drums for the most part. I played guitar in a couple of bands, and I generally enjoyed it. But it soon became clear that it it wasn't taking off. You know, there there are bands everywhere, and you know, I was in some really good bands, but they they just never quite mm. took off. We got a few plays on Radio One and things like that, which was great. We did some did some wow, tours yeah. and stuff and I, I really enjoyed it but I just got towards my late 20s and I was like I can't I can't carry on doing this and I thought even if mm. you know Mr Big Shot Sony Records came and signed us up now basically we would be put in a van and told to tour around the world for a, mm. and I don't want to do I just got married we we're thinking about having kids I was like I don't want to do that and I always mm. much preferred the recording side of things to um to playing right. live anyway I, I love playing live but recording i just felt whenever we recorded at a studio i'd be the guy sitting next to the producer kind of going try it like this do this do this oh that's interesting yeah and when they were mixing i'd be like oh no no do this i can hear it i can hear it but because i was the drummer and the youngest you know you get taken slightly less seriously so it was it yeah. was a little frustrating at the time but i knew that recording was was what I wanted to be doing yeah and that must have that experience must have then come into play when you started doing Definitely, it yourself because you, you, you take notes and you learn what to do and you, you you learn what not to do so I've got two good examples of this mm. my there's a band I was in called Parlour and we went to record at a studio in Redditch we were a little bit nervous because this was going to be our first single so he said right I'm recording and we played through it and we got what is uh, known as red light fever you know that they're recording, you know that this is their single. Mm. And we were a bit nervous and we kept tripping up over ourselves and we couldn't get a proper take. And then the guy went, okay, um, lads, there's, there's a problem with the uh, mixing desk. Do you want to just rehearse through it a few times? And I'll just get this sorted. They're like, yeah, yeah, no worries. Played through it three times, no problem. It was like, great, I've got the take. I was actually recording the whole time. I was like, oh, oh that's brilliant. Genius. So that, that I was like, so I use that with people now. If if they're a bit nervous, yeah. I'm like, right, I just need to kind of get. A few, do you want to just run through the song? And that I, I use that now. Oh, that's such a good trick, isn't it? Because it's so important that just the sort of relaxation yeah. to be in the f- the flow of it. That's all it. And, and I, I know yeah. how nervous people get, um, especially some people. You know, because they're they're in the studio. They've got a song that they've written. The lyrics are possibly really personal. They might not be confident about their voice and you want to give them as much encouragement as as you can, you know. The polar Mm. opposite of that story is very, very briefly, I was in a band where I was the singer, which was a terrible idea because I cannot (laughs) sing. But also I I didn't enjoy being front of the stage. If you look at what I do now, all of it is being in the background and I much prefer being that way. Yes, yeah. But... I was struggling to sing it and we're at this different studio and the guy was more interested about making the rest of the band laugh than he was about getting a good vocal take. So I remember him going, right, here goes nothing. And then I was doing the vocal take and I could hear him pointing at me and saying stuff that were making the rest of the band laugh. Oh, I was like, no. this is the worst producer ever. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, how am no. I supposed to get yeah. something good? If So I th- think those two examples are good examples of good and bad production and I've mm. I've sort of taken those and, and made sure I don't act like that other guy 
but yeah but i do yeah. kind of you know just try and get the best out of people you know so do people come to you and record with you or they they might have recorded at home and you it all changes i've honestly the the breadth of um different artists that i work with so I, some people come here and start from mm-hmm. from here and you know uh, and we do it some people as you say record from home uh, obviously more so in the past couple of years um some people have a song that is pretty much finished and ready to go and i just need to kind of polish it some people murmur into their phone and then give that to me like make that into a hit you know genuinely like i've someone sent that once you know and what what can you do with that do you then encourage them to come and see you in person or how would the, the you guy that did that? that was a guy from greece and so i couldn't meet him in person i mean this was like 2014 or something it was literally murmurs but i listened to it i was like right can i hear a, a tune in this yeah kind of so i i created the tune i created the backing i got a session singer in and sent it over to him and he was delighted so so oh, wow. just like yeah <laughs> i interpreted funny. his murmur quite well you know <laughs> so yeah I, I love it and you know you get all kinds of talent you get you get maybe a, a girl who's 14 who's only just learned the guitar and has just you know wants to do her, her mm-hmm. first songs or someone who is like a professional singer songwriter who's who's very confident you know um mm. so i love it i love hearing it's a privilege for me to hear these songs for the first time because it's it's almost like someone mm. opening up their diary to you you know yeah it's a very intimate thing really isn't it it is it really is and there's been times where i've been a borderline counselor for people you know mm. um um I, I i recall someone coming in and singing some lyrics that i kind of recognized and we went out for a drink afterwards and over a beer, I said, um, that song you were singing earlier, is it what I think it's about? And he said, well, what do you think it's about? And I said, are you are you um, trying to have kids? He said, yeah, yeah, we've been trying for a while. I was like, okay, well, I, I know what that's about. You know, me, me, me and my wife took, you know, took longer than it would have liked, you know. And he was like, oh, do you know what? I can't talk to anyone about it. I can't tell my friends about it, but I'm so glad I can talk to you. So... Mm. I was then the person that he came to when he wanted to talk about it. And wow. then when eventually his wife did get pregnant, I was one of the first person that people that he phoned, which was great. You know? oh, so that, that, was, that was really nice, you know. So that was his way of expressing the song was his he way put it of into expressing song. He, that. He actually wrote an entire album about it. And I said wow. to him at the end of it, with any luck, your next album will be like, oh my God, I can't sleep because I've got kids now. And it's like... <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, no, that that all, all worked out for the best. So. Yeah. Wow. So you have you have such a mix of work, don't you? That sometimes you're working with artists like that, and then you've got your um, more sort of commercial or kind of more corporate work or oh yeah, the video kind of soundtrack. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you kind of manage your time with all those different projects going on? Maybe how do you prioritize? Is a better question. I'm lucky now that I think when I first started, it was a struggle to prioritise because I think I undercharged. And because mm. I was undercharging, I was getting a heck of a lot of work in, but there was kind of too much. Mm. And so I was always overworked and skint. 
and it wasn't a good way to be because I, I don't think I was doing my best work because I was just trying to get mm. everything out of the way. So I decided to put my prices up and happily I'm less overworked and I'm not skin. So, you know, it's Perfect worked out for the, for the best yeah. really. You know? <laughs> but ultimately I'm, I'm pretty well organised because um, mm. I'm looking at my desktop here and I've got, I've got a box that says um, stuff to do this week. I've got mm-hmm. a box that says stuff to start when I can. And I've got a, another box that says stuff that I'm waiting on someone else to get back to me about. Right. Yeah. Um, and everything's labelled and I've got a little archive, which I'll talk about another later because my archive is just like my pride and joy. Oh. Um, and I just do stuff and I, I get back to people immediately because I mm. just, I think that there's no point in not doing that, you know. So let's go back to when you decided to go full time into music. You were working yeah. for the NHS, weren't you? So w- tell that's us right. about that sort of that part of your career, because that's sort of where the the twist yeah. came in in a way, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah. So I got a job working for the NHS um, in communications. So I was writing press releases for NHS Derby City, as it was then, taking media inquiries any kind of literature that needed to be written, I did do that. And it was fine. It was it was a it was an okay job, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Now we had the um the recession in kind of two thousand and eight, I think mm-hmm. it was. And what happens with recessions is that they hit public services a couple of years after they hit everything else. So in two thousand at the start of two thousand eleven, there were the word got out that there was going to be uh, voluntary redundancies where I was working and I was like oh, that sounds good because I've been working <laughs> it's I've a been... bit of a sign isn't it when oh, you um when you're it. like yes yeah voluntary redundancy and you've you've got to kind of if a door opens you've got to go through it because there's no other way you know and so I was like okay so I thought at the time you know we just bought the house that we so we just got a mortgage daughter was about two years old we're thinking of having another one and and you know we're just coming out of a recession mm-hmm. but I had to sort of pitch it to my wife you know I'd like to leave my job now and and try and try doing music full-time which I'd never really made any money through doing music um, or sound so I sat down with her and I spoke to her about it and she was like oh I'm not sure about this Ben you know mm. I said, well, can I leave it with you? It's something I really want to do. And I said, look, if I was to go, I've been working at the NHS for a while and then I get like a decent redundancy payoff that covered me mm-hmm. for a few months and maybe I'll give it a year. And if it doesn't work out after a year, I'll just go and get another job, any job. Just I'll, I'll, I just want to at least try it. And then um, next day I was at work and she texted me and she says, do you know what? You only live once. You do it, but you better not let us down. I was like, that's the best text I ever got. I was like, oh, yes. So, um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was because I honestly, I, I don't think most people would have, but she knew that it was such a passion for me. And she knew that, you know, the one thing you can't question about me is my work ethic. So, mm. so yeah, so I, so I finally finished at the NHS in August, um, 2011. And I went straight into, um, into kind of sorting this out and I, I wanted to stand out straight away so I thought that there are there are lots of kind of what are called bedroom producers just people mm-hmm. that kind of knock out stuff in their spare time um, 
and throw loops together and stuff like that. I wanted to stand out from that. So I got myself a logo and a website. I went to um, uh, networking sessions, which was bizarre mm. because most of the time you're sitting there in a room with like accountants and lawyers and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a music producer. And they're like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll see you in the charts. Um, but you just think, well, you know, if one of them like knows someone, who's recording you know you never know yeah so, you never know when the links come back to you that's the ex- thing. absolutely yeah so that for that first year I, I kind of worked solidly just to kind of get my name out there and um and amazingly it worked you know mm. I um in terms of um promotion there were a couple of things so uh, for producing solo artists I I got a really good website and I went on an SEO course so which was amazing by the end of the SEO course, if you typed Music Producer UK into Google, I came up like second. I still oh, do. Oh, wow. If you oh, type, wow. That's great. Which is amazing. So mm. I got quite a lot of work that way. And then after that, it became word of mouth. Mm. So I do did good jobs for people. They, they came back and, and then they'd recommend me to someone else. And how long did you feel like that took to get to that point where you, you know that work's going to kind of find you? Um, within a year, amazingly. I can't, wow. I couldn't. I was very happy by how quickly it took off. The first mm. person I got was someone I knew. The second person I got was someone that I didn't know but lived in Derby near to me. And then the third person was out of Derby in a different part of the UK. And, I, and it just sort of went from there. It was, it, was, mm. it was amazing. And then with the composition side of it, I thought, well, what am I going to do here? Because you get... For, for soundtrack work, like short films and, and films, and th- when you're at kind of the the bottom level, there's no paid work there. You mm. do it for free in the hope that that film will take off. I was like, well, you know, I can't do that. I don't have the luxury to do that. I've got mm. to start making money. So I thought, well, what about people that do explainer videos? They must get the music from somewhere. So I swear I sat in a cafe for a week and I Googled every video production company and animation company in the East Midlands and the West Midlands and London as well. And I wrote them all down and then I emailed every single one of them individually. Did you? Yeah. Wow. And, and it took, I think it was a week's worth of research and a week's worth of emailing. Mm. I'm surprised my Gmail didn't get shut down, you know. Um, and I just thought, I think there was about a thousand people I contacted and I thought, even wow. if I just get a handful of responses, then that's good enough. And I think I've got four responses that were like, yeah, all right. I remember one company said to me, your timing's brilliant because our other um, composers just let us down. And we've got this thing for um, Hyundai, this this kind of animation. Oh, wow. that used to. So if you can do it, we'll use yours from now on. So it will use you from now on. It's like, yeah, brilliant. So I got that's into that. That's brilliant. The timing that... That just yeah, absolutely. came at the right time. And then that kind of expanded because I started getting work doing the composition side of things. Mm. But then they'd say, can you do sound effects? I was like, okay, well, I'll give that a go. And then turns out people liked me doing sound effects. And then people would say, do you know any voiceover artists? And I didn't. But then I advertised for some and I've got some on the books. And now I appear to be the guy that people come to for voiceover artists in these Midlands. So, you know, and that's... That's, again, not something that I expected. And it's not, that's not really something that I make much money on because 
you know, I just kind of slap a small fee on the top, but it keeps me in there with those production companies. So yeah, that first year, I was delighted by how well it went. And like, amazingly, touch wood, it's not stopped. You know, even during the pandemic, I managed to keep working. Um, mm, which yeah, was, I was going to ask you about that. How did you, what happened then when everything it was, shut it, down? It was astonishing. I seemed to become more busy because, you know, a lot of people, singer-songwriters can, as you mentioned before, record from home. So I did a lot of remote working like that. Voiceovers carried on and some of the composition work carried on. So I think because I diversified a lot, there's lots of little elements to what I do. Most of it just kind of continued. And I felt almost guilty about that because almost everyone within music had their living taken away from them. Most recording studios, most performing artists, you know, like singers weren't doing anything. But I was I was all right for the most part. So, yeah, I think it was for some people, it was a really creative time. Mm. And for other people, they felt too kind of stressed to be creative i guess didn't they yeah um, it's but i think uh, quite there was you hear quite a lot of artists saying that they wrote a new album or you know yeah, that's it had time to create work yeah i did find that lots of people were creating and writing so i i had a fair bit it was it was a strange time for me because i i was just still at it so i remember kind of thinking everyone else is having time off yeah, it, that's how it felt. It felt like everyone had free time off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty bad at giving myself time off. So right. I think because I'm terrified that this could be taken away from me at any time, mm. I basically have a week off in the summer to go on holiday and then a week off at Christmas. And that's kind of it. So last year, I decided I was going to take a month off. It was last June. I was going to take a month off and I live near in Derby near the Peak District. I was just going to go walking oh, around the Peak District and drink beer and eat pies and nice. <laughs> and just not worry about anything. From, and I did it and it was brilliant. Uh, I had such and a did good you month. find you were able to switch off and not yeah, kind yeah, of worry was, about the business? Yeah, I, I messaged everyone. I said, look, I've got to do this. I'll be back in July. If there's anything that's urgent, let me know. But luckily there wasn't and um oh it's such a such an amazing month mm. and um you know I w- it's something that i would recommend to all kind of self-employed people if they can get to a place where they can do it because yeah. i wouldn't have been able to do it before last year um but i know that's yeah i was going to say that's the thing it takes quite a while to build that confidence in your yeah absolutely. in the work coming because you as a freelancer you often just feel like if if I'm not there, the work will stop coming in. Yeah, the whole make hay while the sun shines thing. Yeah. yeah but that's great so. that you kind of are at that point where you can that you can do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But then you also I know you work you can work really long days and things as well, can't you? Like you Yeah, absolutely. I mean I'm again I'm I'm trying to strike a better work life balance. So mm. um my wife has recently gone back to full-time work. Mm-hmm. So I'm now doing the school run, which which, right. is, which is great. And, um, you know, I never, ever wanted to be missing the kids growing up because I know mm. that they're only with you for a finite amount of time, aren't they? You know, yeah. I just, 
I've gone off on a mild tangent here, but I've always been like life is for living. Mm. And, you know, you get these people that might have, you know, like a, a road accident or something like that and they survive and they're like, it's giving me a new lease for life. And mm. I've always had that. And and I've always like, why waste your time doing, you know, doing things that you don't want to do? Like, yes. I'm a I'm a massive dreamer. So even when I was in the NHS, like in full-time employment, I was still dreaming. I was still like, well, I've, I've got to get this someday, you know. And now my, my wife rolls her eyes because I'm constantly dreaming and constantly <laughs> thinking of the way things could be. And I was like, don't roll your eyes because she was someone that I dreamt about and I got her. So I was like, you know, so, you know. Oh, I, I just that needs think, to go in a song, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, it's, I just, there's, I think there is a song like, if you don't have a dream, then how are you going to have a dream come true? And that's it. And and that's, that's what life is for me. I'm constantly think like in my own head, staring out the window. My daughter's the same every parent's evening. It's like, she's, she's a lovely girl, but she's just staring out the window all the time in her own little world. And um, it's like, yeah, I understand that. So. That's a very creative place to be, isn't it? Yeah need to need the dreamers um so talking of your your own songs you also sort of find time to write composition that you put out on in library music library music yeah yeah so i got into library music about five years ago i'd always known about it but i wasn't really sure how you get into it um and then i read a book on it and it sounded really exciting because essentially you can sort of compose whatever you like and Mm. someone is going to want to use it so i got some compositions in place and i started emailing some publishers and found out that i got into the library straight away it's a really interesting thing because there are two levels of libraries you get the the um the pilot high and sell it cheap ones where you know people will like subscribe and they can have as much music as they want. And that tends to be for like YouTube videos and things mm. like that. But then you get the higher level ones, which are for TV and mm. adverts and films and things like that. So I was going for the high, high level ones. The only thing with that is you don't make any money for like three years. So you just have to put music out there and trust that they will be used. And why is that? Because of the process, the time it takes for the music to be selected and then. Yeah. There's a number of things. So, in between you delivering the music to your publisher, your publisher might sit on it for a while. And then when they put it out, you've got to wait for someone to find that album and then find something to put it in. And then for that show to go out and then for the royalties to come in and then for the royalties to be paid to you by either your publisher or the PRS, it's all a bit, mm. it's all a bit boring that side of it. But uh, yeah, essentially it's, it's roughly three years between you finishing work and then you're getting paid for it so i started doing stuff in 2019 and i'm just starting to make money from it now and it's quite exciting watching the graph go up and and seeing Mm. you know what what i've been doing kind of um uh, make something of itself but i love it i absolutely love doing Mm. and you've got smoky haven't you is very popular on spotify so this was bonkers so in 2017 i I remember thinking, oh, I, was, I was just knackered at the time. And I remember thinking, I'm constantly doing music for other people, but I've not done anything for myself. 
for can't remember how long it was. So I just took an evening and I, I got a like glass of whiskey and I've always loved ambient music. So I just got my guitar and I put it through lots of echoes and reverbs and just and turned the lights down and just, just played and recorded what I played. And I thought, oh, that was nice. I made five tracks. I thought I'll stick them on Spotify. And then I did a couple of other EPs over the next few weeks and put them all on Spotify. I basically forgot about them. And um, and then one day I just thought, oh, I'll put those tracks on Spotify. I wonder if anyone's listening to them. So I looked mm. at the statistics and it was like, Monday you got six plays, Tuesday you got three plays, Wednesday you got seven plays, Thursday you got 15,000 plays. Wow. It's like, what? What? So, um, yeah, and I looked into it, and amazingly, one of my tracks, which was called Panath Pier, was added to an official Spotify playlist called Dreamy Vibes. Ah. So ah. so there were tens of thousands of people listening to it um, for quite a while. So, so yeah, Amazing. that got to five and a half million plays, unbelievably. That's incredible. Yeah, and it was probably the music that I put the least amount of effort into. But, but also the enjoyment was there, wasn't it? You the enjoyment, obviously... and I think, yeah, I think that if you if you do something with passion, I think people can spot that. Mm. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was amazing, and I do a lot of things, but that that's that's been really nice to um, to know that you know people listen to it. I mean, yeah, you're not going to if you if someone goes to Spotify now and listens to it. Nothing much happens in a smoky track. It's just quite floaty and ethereal, and mm. and um, no one would sit there and actually just listen to it. But people, oh, I did. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, that's yeah. nice. I listened to a lot of them. But yeah. um, people tend to have it on while they're sleeping or while they're studying yeah. or whilst doing kind of hypnotherapy and 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 that kind of thing. And actually, yeah. you used one of the tracks, didn't you? Yes. I've used um, four four a.m. after the greatest night ever, yeah, which is also yeah. a brilliant title for yeah. meditation. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. No, it's um, no, it's it's lovely stuff. And just occasionally, someone will email me and say, "Thank you for," you know, it's usually Panath beer because that's the one that's mm. had five million. But I'll say thank you for that. You know. Um, it helps my child to sleep every night oh, wow. or, or, you know, I was feeling really depressed, but your song kind of gave me a bit of hope and things oh, like that. So that's, oh, that's, that's really nice. Yeah. And do you, do you make time to do more of that or is that just, do you just sort of do it when you feel that way inclined? I won't lie. I feel like I've overdone it because I think there's mm. about like 93 smoky tracks out there and oh, there's wow. only, yeah, there's only so much I can get out of mm. a guitar going through lots of reverb. I feel like I might have done everything I can with it, but I, you never know. We'll see. And also, I think as soon as that one track got popular, weirdly, it wasn't as enjoyable anymore because mm. then there was pressure. It's like, you have, yes, yeah. That whole thing about There's you have to do a follow up. Se second yeah. album. <laughs> That's literally it. I was like, oh God, people are listening to it now. What am I going to do? The, yeah. the thing about that song, Panath Pier, is that. If I'd have known that people were going to listen to it, I would have made it much better because there's there's a wrong note in there. Very obviously, I, like I think four minutes in, I just hit a really bad wrong note and it was badly recorded. And there's some fuzz in it as well, where I've, I was playing the guitar too hard and it peaked. 
and it kind of gets a bit scratchy. Oh. And it's like, if I'd have known... But it's going back to that thing you said about the producer where you didn't know it was recording and... Um, yeah, that's it. And yeah. you were relaxed and just enjoying yourself and that, that shines through. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. I was, I was wondering um, what do you think has been sort of biggest challenge that you've had as a as a freelance creative what's the most difficult thing I think I view my 11 years really positively there's some bits that haven't gone that well and it it tends to be to do with you know you get some clients that don't value what you do unfortunately Mm. it's just the way some people are you know when I first started I had complete faith in humanity. I had faith in people. I just thought, I, I just, I genuinely think everyone's, a, well, I used to think everyone is a good person. Um, unfortunately, it's not always true. So I never used to ask for any money until the end of a project. Unfortunately, some people took advantage of that. Mm. And, uh, you know, that was a bit disappointing, obviously. Mm. Um, so now I take 50% up front for everything and that sorts out the people who are serious yes, to, to those yeah. that aren't. Um, th- there's also, I find that there is a direct correlation with how, how talented someone is and how happy they are for me to just get on with it. So people that are very talented are usually quite secure in themselves and are happy for me to just do my bit and they usually like it almost immediately. That's, that's really great. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then people that aren't talented quite often take their insecurities out on me and they're like, this track doesn't sound good. And they don't want to admit that maybe it's their voice that's mm. not good. So it definitely must be the bass guitar, you know. <laughs> and how do you handle that when that when that happens? You've just got to be diplomatic. At the end of the day, they're paying me. So, mm. you know, if I was in a band with them, I would say, you know, but at the end of the day, you've got to just swallow, you've just got to bite your tongue and say, okay, well, let's work on that and, you know, and, and do what you can, you know. But it's, apart from getting ripped off, which, I, you know, I, I don't think should happen to anyone. The rest of it is first world problems, you know. It's, mm. it's um, there's problems in any job. So I think in terms of challenges, that's that's the thing. There's There's been a few things that I've learnt since Mm -hmm. starting you know i've learned that i do need to take breaks i've learned that trying to push on through if you're not feeling inspired is not the best thing so everyone has days where the muse whoever she may be is just isn't there you know and i used to like just try and plow on through Mm. it doesn't work it just everything is terrible I do. I don't mind admitting that maybe three times a year I get mild depressive episodes. Mm-hmm. Very, very mild in terms of that. But basically, what it comes down to is I think that everything I do is terrible um, when I get that. Mm. And so there's no point. There's no point in sitting there and trying to work through it because everything I do, I'm going to kind of go, oh, that's that's rubbish. So I turn the studio off and I go and do something else. Mm. And it took me a long time to to realize that that was the best thing to do. Mm. That the best thing to do for my creativity was to walk away and wait till things you know were better, and then come back to it. Mm, that's really interesting. 
I had postnatal depression actually, and um, right. And one of the things that really helped me get better was painting, just doing things that with no pressure on the outcome, just messing yeah. around with the process. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? Because creativity should be about exactly that. You know, yeah. if, you, if you want to do some painting and express yourself and not worry about it, that's how it should be. Um, when it's your job, it changes things. It put it changes yeah. things on its head because yeah, it's absolutely. your job then. So it's it's fair to say, oh, I, I, I sound weird saying it. I probably love music more than I ever have done, but I don't enjoy it as much as I used to, mm. if you know what I mean, because everything I do, I have to think of an end result. But do you know what? Just you saying that, has made me think I might go out and buy some paints mm. and then and then actually next time it comes to a point where I'm just not I can't get my head into the right mm. space I might do that so thank you oh you're welcome no I used to love um and I I mean I still would but I just haven't been doing that for a while but I love kind of really free-flowing painting so actually basically watching paint dry you know mixing things up and seeing where the colors go and just yeah it's I suppose it's another dimension of the ambient music in a way you know watching the the flowing yeah. process and where it takes itself I quite I love that yeah that's it it's it's all about atmosphere kind mm. of isn't it you know whether it's paint or music or what yeah and that's... I think maybe accepting than that or being within the moment very in the moment yeah yeah well that's it do you know what seriously i'm gonna go out and buy some paints and uh mm. all those things that you put your um what do you An call easel. it easel that's the one yeah yeah oh yeah um if i can find space in the house I yeah <laughs> i know that's the thing isn't it <laughs> talking of which where is your studio ben i'm just looking at your yes it's in my garden so I live in a semi-detached in Spondon, which is just outside of Derby. Mm -hmm. And um, we've got, I've got a little studio in the garden, which is six metres by four and a half metres. It was purpose-built. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little place. It's mm. become a lot nicer since, since I installed air conditioning because it used to get oh, wow. horrifically hot in the summer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love it. People, people love coming here and it's a... Um, it's a nice creative space. So I've, yeah. got, I've got a chair there. I've got a settee there. I've got... And I see um, your collection of guitars as well. Yes, I have many, many. I've got too many guitars. I, my wife doesn't know about most of them. Um, <laughs> I've got another... Things slightly out of shot here, but I've got another computer there. I've got the Polaroid Hall of Fame. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Is that everyone that's been to the... Studio. Everyone that's been in the studio, yeah, which is quite nice. I've got a massive box of percussion. I've got a theory about percussion, which is that there's no such thing as bad percussion, right? So if I just get this. So this is a shaker by LP Percussion, right? This costs mm -hmm. 40 quid, okay? Sounds good, yeah? Mm. But this is a tub, a Pringles tub, ah. with uh, rice in it. Oh, it's just as good. I like isn't it? that. Yeah. yeah. They're just as good. The same thing as like 
This is a professional uh, drum kit tambourine, which is mm-hmm. lovely. This is a tambourine that cost one pound in a kid's percussion kit. Still great, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's no such thing as bad percussion. Talking of kids' um, instruments, do your kids play? Are they are they into music? Um, my so I've I've got a daughter of thirteen and a son of nine, and my son is getting drum lessons, and he likes to come into the studio and just sort of ask what's what, and he's he's very interested. And actually, at the weekend, um, so there was a band that I was in a very long time ago, and we still get together every now and then, and we played our guitarist's fiftieth birthday party, but him and the bassist's son decided to start a band. So they went on stage before us and just played a song they'd written called Hello Everyone and with my son playing a drum and the other guy singing. So that was quite nice. So, yeah, Ed's very into music Mm. and he, um, I play him stuff and he listens to it and he asks about it and Mm -hmm. that's really nice to do because me and Ed are actually quite different people. Um, But... We, we connect with music and stuff. So, yeah, which is really nice. Whereas my daughter, who is actually a lot more like me, um, mm. is very creative, but doesn't really want to do anything to, to do with music. At one point, she got bass yeah. guitar lessons, because, which was my idea. I never wanted to push my kids into music because no, no one ever pushed me into it. But I said, you know, you should try and learn something. And I said, what do you want to learn? And she says, just choose something for me. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, I chose bass because there's nothing cooler than female bassists. Mm. So, um, but she had two lessons and she just wasn't bothered. Yeah. So, no, it's got to so, come from them really, hasn't it? That's yeah, 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 yeah. I think the, pro- the problem these days is that is technology. And I w- I, I'm a bit concerned. I mean, I think things like garage bands, um, which are on most Macs and iPad, are are great but kids think that to make music all you have to do is drag and drop some loops onto a timeline and you know it does sound professional why would they want to learn a guitar or or drums or or piano or anything like that when they can just do that and get results instantly you know I know because they get such instant gratification with the yeah, with yeah. a lot of the tech stuff don't they because yeah. at the beginning it's hard isn't it to make a noise that's not yeah, what you want exactly. to make and uh, yeah <laughs> and it hurts your fingers it. and it's you know the the repetition is just a bit dull for them but once you get that oh yeah that actually sounds like yes, the song that's it that's when it starts to pay off the enthusiasm kicks that's in it. i, I yeah. largely taught myself guitar but i remember listening to the beatles white album and there's a lot of acoustic songs on that and i just sat there and um because I can't read music or anything, I still I still can't. So I just thought, well, I'll, I'll just work the songs out myself. And so mm. Blackbird, uh, Mother Nature's Son, um, tracks like that, I just worked them out. And then I played them at school and everyone was like, well, where did you learn that? I said, well, just listened to it mm. and worked it out. And they're like, no, you didn't. I was like, well, I, I did. Oh, really? So then they were like, well, work this one out then. And they gave me tapes and then I had to work songs out for everyone. But... Um, but that, that's when I realised I kind of had an ear to, to, to pick it mm. up. I think we talked a little bit about the um, the joy of yeah. creating music and things. And where do you get your inspiration from? 
when you like you were saying when you were in your first band you'd look out the window and say yeah. bird or whatever it's, but do you do you still go to nature or I, to I, I, I do walk a lot and I constantly imagine being in front of the sea while the sun is setting it's a constant thing and I always have done and I when I was younger I used to collect photos of sunsets and if any of my friends went on a holidays they'd all get me a sunset photo and stuff I'm just obsessed with them and Aww. amazingly now we found a place in Cornwall with a house that overlooks the sea and you can see the sunset from the living room and it's just incredible so honestly when I'm creating stuff especially for myself and this is probably where Smokey came from it's about creating a feeling it's about creating a kind of a um mm. an ideal place and that's you know even just looking in front of me now I've got a weird sort of spacescape poster in front of me and it's for as much as anything for me music is about escapism and that's that's kind of the music i like the most mm. is is one where it takes you somewhere else and it um yeah i am i am a dreamer and um I, but i love it i love living in my, my own world <laughs> yes yeah oh good for you i so so if if you were to give advice to someone else who's listening to this thinking i want to do that or i'm nearly ready to but i'm not sure i dare what would you what would you say I think to them you just have to first of all you have to find the opportunity find the open door you know so for me it was when when the voluntary redundancies came up that was the open door. And I knew that there wasn't going to be many open doors in my life, but you've got to find it. And then you've got to just go for it because when I was thinking of doing this, there was so much negativity from other people. Um, I remember a few friends saying, no, that's not going to work and you shouldn't be doing this. And um, I remember a friend's... Isn't that interesting that people put that on you there's this misconception i do think it's a misconception that you can't make money from music and i understand why that why that is there because you know for example people don't sell cds anymore uh you listen on spotify and you make like a pittance on spotify and and it's not even as easy to make money touring anymore as it used to be so i completely understand that but a good example of this was just before i quit my job I went on to the, um, there was a message board page of a popular music production magazine in the UK. And I just, I, I logged on, I said, hey guys, my name's Ben. And I said, I'm thinking of doing this, going to quit my job and I'm thinking of doing this and this and this. Just wondered what you what you all thought. And I, I posted it and then I checked back a day later and there was four pages of replies and everyone was going, no, you, of course you can't do that. You can't. You're going to quit your job and actually do music full time. No, you can't do that. And one guy even private messaged me and said, I need you to put this, put you off this crazy idea. You know, you'll, you'll lose your livelihood. Your wife will leave you. You know, you wow. ring me, ring me. It's oh, like, wow. And I looked through it and I, was and I was slightly alarmed. And then I thought, do you know what? All these people aren't doing it themselves because they don't have the, Mm. whatever it is to to do it themselves so they just hang about on message boards talking about mm. it 
and maybe the people that are doing it don't want the competition so that actually made me think right well i'm definitely going to do it now do you know yeah oh, good for you <laughs> you know it was just but even myself you know i kind of thought well the the imposter syndrome was was quite a big thing you know because mm. if you take two famous producers you know george martin who did the beatles he was classically trained he could read mm. and write music and perfect ear I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not mm. that guy, you know. I can't read or write music. I'm not classically trained. And then, if you think of another producer, like someone more modern, like Mark Ronson, he's exceptionally cool, and he's got all the new gear and stuff. Well, I'm mm-hmm. not cool, and I've not got all the new gear. I was just like, <laughs> well, what, what can I offer? But I think what I can offer is kind of unbridled enthusiasm. Um, an insane work ethic and just a need to give people what they want and a need to and, and a need to communicate mm. as well because it's amazing how many people think that you know I get quite a few students who want to talk to me about stuff they think that they go to university they learn about different types of microphone and what a compressor does and how to EQ stuff and and all the kind of geeky technical side of things and then they're fit for you know they're, they're done for life then but it's it's not mm. about that it's music production it's about communication it's about um yeah uh, musicality it's about ideas it's about so many different things think on that blog i listed a, a lot of different jobs that i'm basically doing while i'm doing production and I think if you don't do any of those things, you know, no matter how great you are, if you're not replying to emails for a week, people aren't going to work with you, you know. Mm. So I know musicians that are much better than me, but the reason that they're not doing this full time is because they they haven't got the, the, the few qualities that I have, they don't have, you know. There's also a lot of snobbery in mm. music. There's a lot of musical snobbery, which I've I've never had. Um so, you know, mm. I remember talking to a guy because I'd had uh, someone ask me to do some nursery rhymes. He was like, I'm not doing music for kids. I was like, well, well, fine, but I don't mind doing it. You know, it's music and, you know, mm. I've got kids and and I'm getting paid for it. What's yeah. the problem? You know, it's like if you just if yeah. you just want to do the music that is, you know, in your heart, man, and that's it then you'll never get anywhere. You have to do stuff that people want as well. Are there any books or people that you would recommend, um, musicians that have inspired you? Yeah. Um, so in terms of books, I I read a lot of books about music and magazines about music. And I would say that all of them have inspired, I've taken something from each of them. Um, but the two books that I recommend aren't actually about music, more about creativity. One is, you've probably heard of it. I think it's called Who Stole My Cheese? Oh, no, I haven't heard of that one. Mm. It's really interesting. One of my managers, when I quit the NHS, gave me this book and I read through it. I was like, that's brilliant. So the premise of it is this. There's two mice, right? And every day they go through a maze. And at the end of this maze is some cheese, right? And every day they go through the maze, get the cheese and all is, all is good. And then one day they go through the maze and the cheese isn't there. And one of the mice just goes, I'll look for cheese elsewhere then and finds more cheese. Whereas the other one just keeps going back to that place going, where's my cheese? Where's my cheese? I was like, okay, 
Well, that taught me to diversify, basically, because so when I've told the story about how I emailed um, all the production mm. companies when I started to do, I got quite a lot of that music when I first started 11 years ago. But over time, I think they've started using library music more, so I don't get as much of that in. Now, if I'd been relying on that, I wouldn't have a business left. But because I do a lot of different things and I'm constantly, you know, changing things around, it, it means that if that cheese disappears, I've got a different cheese to, yeah. to have. Do you yeah, know what I, mean? I love that metaphor. So that's, mm. that's a great one. In terms of artists, I, there's so many artists mm. that I like, but my, my two favourite um, are at the moment are Clanad. Oh, I love Clanad. Which, yeah. I love Clanad. Yeah, beautiful band. I love Irish music and I love kind of the kind of mellow mm. feel of it. So I love that band. Um, and there's also an Australian band called Paper Kites that Spotify recommended to me by amalgamating everything else mm. I was listening to and then using their algorithms to suggest something to me. And they are just the greatest band mm. ever. Oh, I'll have to look them up. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. That Spotify algorithm is a whole other conversation, but I do find that it, you can sometimes find beautiful things and sometimes yeah. I forget I forget what I like. Do you know what I mean? I forget what I like without Spotify telling me what, <laughs> what I like. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's, so um, you've got to try and keep the yes. balance. Yes, that's it. Well, that's the thing with me. Like with Paper Kites, it, it was suggesting it to me for ages. It just kept saying, it may as well have just sent someone round to the house, say, Ben, you will love this band. And I was like, no, nah, <laughs> I've got enough music. Just ignore them. And then I listened to 30 seconds of one of their songs. I was like, <sighs> so, um, yeah, they're, a, they're a, a cracking band. So I'm going to go and have a listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been really lovely to talk to you. And, um, it's been great to talk to you yeah. as well. Probably better go and do some work work now, but it's been an nah, absolute. <laughs> <forget that. laughs> it all feels like fun. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Creative Twist. Show notes and resources can be found on my website, sallyvanderpump.com. Thanks to Rosie Kernahan for the podcast photo, to Vicky Arledge for composing the music to Jen at Studio 2711 for the artwork and to Tina Cooney for the branding. I'd love to work with you on a creative project. If you'd like to book me for voiceover or talk about an acting project, please contact me via my website. And if you'd like to meditate with me, you can find me on SoundCloud or Insight.